KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. I really miss the gorgeous weather that we had last weekend, and I was trying to take advantage of it. On Friday, I wanted to go out to a restaurant and eat outside, get back into that kind of mood. There was an hour-long wait for outdoor seating. We ended up eating inside so that we didn't have to wait an hour. That's how popular outdoor seating is. If there were one of the few good things, I guess, that came from this pandemic is that this city evolved into a place like Paris where people are eating out on the streets and everything else. Yeah, last weekend, getting the table, you had to get a reservation beforehand. So I hate to be Brian Bummer. I feel like I fill that role. I douse the water on everything. I'm the wet blanket. But when we were living in town, we moved out a little while ago, two restaurants within about a 10-minute walk of our place were the victims of safety issues with outdoor dining. Lamaud on 4th Street, I don't know if you guys remember this, there was a car crash that ran into Lamaud's outdoor dining setup. And then Heritage, which is on 2nd Street, my wife and I were walking home from there one night and a car kind of like went by and sideswiped one of the protective plastic barriers and just kept on driving. So uh, (laughs) I think for me, I love eating outdoors, but I'm going to continue eating in designated outdoor dining spots within the premise of a restaurant. And perhaps only if absolutely necessary, if I'm particularly hungry or thirsty, I will sit on the street to eat. <laughs> Brian coming in as Buzz Killington today on, on, the, right. on the podcast. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. And those streeteries could be very popular this spring and this summer, but the rules around them here in the city of Philadelphia have certainly become hotly debated. So when it comes to talking about food, we bring in Hadas Kuznis. She'll catch us up on this a little bit later on, and she'll also give us an update on some local chefs who are helping out at the Polish-Ukrainian border. And speaking of which, President Biden is headed out to Europe as he set out for Brussels today for an emergency summit with NATO leaders where they're going to be talking about military assistance for Ukraine as well as new sanctions against Russia. I hope that people keep listening to these stories. You know, I felt myself watching the news today and, and feeling kind of like a little bit of news fatigue around Ukraine. And I just want to remind everyone that those people in Ukraine can't forget about this war. So we are still paying attention to it. Luckily, President Biden is as well. And he's going out there and we are figuring out how to help. I don't think people understand. We're now four weeks in. It was four weeks ago this started. In four weeks, NATO estimates, because we just came in here from the Associated Press, NATO estimates between 7,000 and 15,000 Russian soldiers have been killed in this invasion because of the resistance that Ukraine has put up against them. So they have been fighting every single day for four weeks to try to protect their country and protect their literal sovereignty and freedom. This is as real as it gets. To that point, Jay, KYW hosted a really cool forum at our headquarters yesterday. It was led by Ian Bush. He did an awesome job. It was in partnership with the World Affairs Council of Philadelphia to talk about the war in Ukraine. And one of the speakers was actually a guest that Matt Leon had on in-depth the day after Russia invaded Ukraine, Lisa Baglione from St. Joseph's University. And someone asked her what might be a tipping point in this conflict, if there could be something, if Russia's losses continue to pile up, that could turn the tide of public sentiment within Russia against Vladimir Putin. And then this morning, I saw an article from the New York Times that was talking just about that, as military losses mount in Ukraine, dissent brewing over Vladimir Putin's leadership. So if you're looking at big flex points that could change the approach to this war potentially for Russia, 
this could be something. I still think there might be a long ways to go on this, but I thought it was interesting that this was discussed yesterday, and then there was an article about this today as well. Guys, in some positive news, I have what I call 13 alarm bell worthy tweet news <laughs> that I put out <laughs> on my Twitter this morning. And that's that Moderna is requesting use for a potential COVID vaccine for kids under six years old that, if approved, could be ready in time for the summer. Hey, hey. Yes. Congratulations, Brian. <laughs> it is <laughs> almost there. It's about time. I know how long you've been waiting for this. So that's exciting. Yeah, I think there are some parts of this, obviously, that need to be sorted out. It's like, I think the big thing is how long will these vaccines be effective uh, and hold up for? Like, that's been the big thing all along. But the basic point that these tests have turned out so far is that while this might not be one doctor was quoted as saying it's not a home run, but the shots are still helpful. Like it does protect against COVID. Um, so does the effectiveness wane over time? It might. Could it require follow-up booster shots? Yes. The first round would be a two-shot round of vaccines for young kids. But I think this was the news a lot of parents out there of kids six and under were looking for. Now, guys, when I hear the phrase multi-billionaire, usually it is immediately followed by an eye roll and a sigh at people that have just an absurd amount of money in this country. But Mackenzie Scott is doing some good with it. She was uh, formerly Jeff Bezos's wife. She has now vowed to give away most of her fortune and a Philadelphia nonprofit is getting a piece of it. $20 million going to Benefits Data Trust which is an organization that helps people access government benefits like SNAP, Medicaid. And here's how their CEO, Trooper Sanders, reacted to the donation. It is a vote of confidence in the work that we have done to help BDT make sure that we could serve as many people possible and connect them to benefits and also improve the system as a whole. And we are going to use that support to redouble our efforts in the coming years to make the benefits access challenge a thing of the past. She also donated $436 million to Habitat for Humanity. That's that that's not just talking about it. That's definitely being about it. Like seriously. And and thinking about the people that need such things as SNAP, also known as food stamps to certain people, or Medicaid, WIC. When I was a small, small child, my mother was on WIC and understanding what that is like to be able to have to just get access to food, being able just to help out your families. This will do so much good for so many people. So, I mean, shout out to her for being able to actually put all that money she has to a legitimate use and do better to helping the world. I'll be honest. I don't know if she was independently wealthy before or if she got a lot of that Amazon money from Jeff Bezos. But uh, maybe this makes me feel a little tiny bit less bad about spending so much money on Amazon over the past few years. Can I <laughs> can I think of it that way? <laughs> it's finding its way back to the community that so many people have, have bought from Amazon. At least it does go back to something. And she's got her own thing. She's completely separate from Amazon. This is her own foundation. And she's she's doing it. That's the that that's really cool that she's actually legitimately doing this. And it's apparently it's part of like four billion dollars worth of donations that she's made. This just that's it, an eye popping number to think about. 
And guys, one more real quick update following up about something we've been looking at the last two days, just that tragic accident that killed three people, including two state troopers on 95 on Monday. Jayana Webb, she was identified as the person who's been charged yesterday. Bail has been denied. She's due in court in April. So that's the update today. No bail for the 21-year-old Jayana Webb. 21 years old, and it, it, it just all feels so tragic and avoidable. And really, guys, there's no winners in this Um Four lives, you could certainly say, have been ruined by this whole thing. It's just a a sad situation all around. Now, as we roll into spring, we've got to find out what's happening with all the outdoor dining that popped up like popcorn throughout this pandemic. Hadas Kuznets will tell us what's going on with the city streeteries coming up in a moment. I'm Jay. I'm Sabrina. And spring officially started on Sunday, Sunday morning at 1133 to be exact. And whether or not it feels like it today, the weather will eventually warm back up again. And lots of people are going to want to eat outdoors at restaurants. Now, we kind of got used to it during the pandemic. But now the fate of what we've grown to call streeteries here in the city of Philadelphia is up in the air. So, of course, when it comes to something like this, we bring in the person who knows everything about these sort of things, Hadas Kuznets. She's been following the food scene, the dining scene here in Philadelphia for just forever, it seems. And the changing regulations and debates over streeteries have just had everybody confused. So, Hadas, help us kind of kind of make sense of all this. Some restaurants have always had outdoor seating. What was different when it came to what happened with the pandemic? Well, first of all, streeteries exi- existed. Streeteries came to be during the pandemic. And the process was streamlined. So uh, when you had outdoor dining before the pandemic, it would take a long time to get a permit for that. Uh, You you needed approval, and that could take a long time because the committees that decide on these things maybe uh, get together like once a month. But during the pandemic, the city realized that this was an emergency situation, and they needed to move things along faster. So instead of taking months, it might take like a week. Then they also came up with different ideas. Uh, Parklets are new things. Street closures for the weekends during the pandemic. That's all new. Um, And of course, streeteries, which is now a part of our common Philadelphia lexicon. What exactly do we mean when we say streeteries? What is that something specific? Not just any place where you can eat outdoors, but is there like like, uh, urban dictionary definition? Well, I mean, if I had to describe it, it would be those uh, structures that are in parking spots that are in the street. That's a streetery. If you're eating in what would be a space for a car to park in front of a restaurant, there's a chairs in front of there in that spot. Then, yes, if you're eating on tables and chairs on the sidewalk, that's outdoor dining. Got it. Got it. See, I hadn't really thought about that. I figured that it was all that was all a one big catch all term. So again, I'm learning something new every day here. <laughs> and the city had said that outdoor dining was going to come to an end on New Year's Eve. But that didn't exactly happen. So what did they even mean by that? Well, you know, this was an emergency situation for the pandemic. They had decided that um the pandemic was I guess coming to an end. People were getting vaccinated. So restaurants in around like November, December started getting notices that their streetery licenses would be coming to an end um, and that uh, there would be no more streeteries and that for outdoor dining, you would have to go back to uh, the original like application process. But that didn't happen. As you know, Alan Dom brought that to city council and council decided to make streeteries permanent, but with restrictions. And those restrictions were regulations, I guess, were released last month. 
What are some of the new rules for streeteries in the city of Philadelphia? So there's a long list of rules, but kind of some of the the main regulations are. So first of all, uh, and this started in December, that uh, there are some streeteries that are grandfathered into the process. And there's kind of like a perimeter, uh, which is center city and a little bit beyond that. Um, and then anything outside of that catchment area, uh, need they need to uh, apply for the regular process. And the council person has to bring it, excuse me, their representative has to bring it to council and you know, decide whether or not they could get a streetery permit. Uh, so a lot of restaurants that are outside of that catchment are very understandably very upset. Uh, but also, not just them, also residents, people that like to you know, dine out and use those streeteries, people that have become accustomed to them have also been upset. So other, so that's one. Then they came up with all kinds of rules. So those have to do with utilities, uh, lighting, how you're going to do your heating, rules about you have to make them so that they're not permanent structures. You, they There were rules about putting them away if there's a threat of inclement weather. Um, just all kinds of kind of rules of storage that brought up, you know, definitely storage issues. Also, a lot of these, uh, a lot of people put a lot of work into their streetery structures and invested a lot of money into them to make them sturdy. So like, what do you do with that? Like, where do you put six picnic tables, you know, that are nailed into your streetery base if you have to put them away for inclement weather? And, you know, the restaurant owners have argued that they've withstood tornadoes and hurricanes and flooding. So why do you need to move them? But, you know, council doesn't, maybe not, the city might not want these permanent structures out there. So that that's kind of a debate right now. Bringing up things like getting the tables out of there and t- some of that speaks to safety. Another issue with safety is I'm the only one out of the three of us here who drives regularly. So often I'll be in a car and you'll come up on these streeteries. They're set right out, in many cases, right in the street. How are they affecting traffic? And you got to wonder, there's always a fear of something bad happening if a car is wandering past one of these places. Well, a streetery is supposed to be in a parking spot. And then they have additional rules for like taking over the streets over the weekend. So uh, they will close the streets for certain weekend permits. That's something separate. As far as uh, safety, I mean, one of the one of the regulations is they have to have crash proof barriers. But um, in this hearing, then again, they they were arguing like, do you need to have it on all sides? I mean, there shouldn't really be a problem if you're driving like in the normal lanes of traffic because streeteries are not in like the traffic, they're in the parking spot. So yeah, I mean, that might, that might bring up uh, some of the issues might be, you know, parking, but um, the consensus and, you know, stop me if I'm wrong here, seemed to be that people uh, were willing to give up a few parking spots in order to have streeteries. What about, to go back to what you said about that sort of catchment in Center City, did they give a reason as to why they had that that geographical boundary? Because, yeah, it seems like it's going to be putting a lot of cities there, sorry, a lot of restaurants. There are a lot of restaurants in other parts of the city that are going to be at a disadvantage here. That's the question, right? That's that's the big question. They, there was no like official answer given, but I mean, it seemed like, and this is not from the city or anything, but it seemed like uh, certain certain lawmakers want to kind of 
take into consideration. I mean, there's always like a nuisance bar here and there. Well, we've always heard of that. And so you want to be able to control that. Uh, so I guess that's the, uh, the argument that mm. um, they want to be able to decide who gets outdoor seating. But um, if you're including all of these uh, center city restaurants as being grandfathered in, then uh, restaurants are saying that that's not fair. And so that's a good question. I could see some people making the argument, too, that like there are certain cultural restaurants in different communities outside of Center City. Center City is probably a largely white population, and that seems pretty unfair, not equitable. They certainly did say that there was uh, an economic and racial factor here when it came to who gets it. And you know what? It, it really is important for restaurants, especially in the pandemic um, some of the people who spoke at this hearing uh, had said that this was a baseline for them to count on at a time when people are still, many people are still not comfortable to eat indoors. Mm. Uh, so at least having a certain number of tables outside gave them a baseline of what they could expect. We're now reaching this point where spring just started last weekend. We've actually had up until maybe just the last 36 hours or so, a really nice little stretch of really nice weather around here, kind of getting people thinking about it, what's next and what's the timeline here? Because we're getting up to that point where outdoor dining and business is going to start picking up as we go into the spring and into the summer. Another good question that was not answered. And I believe it was uh, Spoonie O'Neill's from O'Neill's on South Street might have said that uh, he was hoping that they would not uh, start enforcement right away. On the other hand, I mean, you can't really start enforcement until you've decided what exactly you're enforcing. So they have to really hammer down, like, are they going to take into consideration the restaurant owner's concerns? Are they going to keep them as is? Uh, a lot of restaurants uh, were really are really are really counting on this nice weather to make back some of the money they lost during the pandemic. So they uh, are saying this also won't give them adequate time to um, abide by some of the rules. And some of those rules include like... Um, you know, art department approval. And so they haven't laid out like what is adequate design, like a, an adequate design for a streetery. So how do you even like get that together? And how do you decide what it is? They ask the committee to maybe make some templates of what is appropriate and then to have it back and forth because, you know, they're saying it, it could take months to even get like a sign approved uh, let alone, you know, you're all of a sudden you're going to get all of these applications for uh, design for streeteries. And some of them, you know, are not pretty and they need to be revamped, but they need to have kind of a bit of a guide, a guidance, a guideline as to what's what the city will and will not accept. So, Hadas, before you go, last week you had this great story about a group of Philadelphia chefs who were headed to the Polish-Ukrainian border to help refugees. So who's out there and what have they been doing? I believe that all the chefs, uh, the remaining, there were three chefs that I know of. Um, I believe that the remaining two chefs are on their way back to Philly now-ish. Uh, it started with Michael Strauss, who went two weeks ago. Uh, he went out to volunteer with um, World Central Kitchen, Jose uh, Andres's World Central Kitchen. And then uh, he actually inspired John Carl Lachman and uh, Olga Serzano, I believe, was on her way. And then he kind of connected them. So they traveled together. And um, then uh, they, they volunteered and um, they did whatever they needed to do, chopping potatoes, chopping apples, 
you know, helping uh, refugees as they came across the border. John Carl Lockman was explaining how like it was very emotional for him, especially working on the um, in the like the baby food section. The hardest thing for me was looking at the baby food station. It just I just started crying, started to cry in the middle of the thing. And I stopped because I didn't want to embarrass myself. Um, we made a giant vat of uh, applesauce baby food today. It was just, uh, you know, just heart wrenching the whole thing. Just kind of to see what was going on and to to see how desperate the people were and um, how this organization basically popped up. Michael Strauss got there right in the beginning as they were just setting up the kitchen. There was no ovens there when I arrived. Only a couple uh, giant paella pots that they're using to cook. And literally within a few days, they had 12 paella pots. They had uh, a, do a dozen ovens. Uh, they built a giant walk-in, probably feeding about 3,000 people a day with the uh, very basics. And by the time that the kitchen's done, they'll be able to, to ramp up to about 100,000 people a day. Part of what I'd like to look into is talk to them when they return and see how they're reflecting on their experiences. But talking to them from Poland um, was really humbling because they said that they, 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 the way they described it, you know, you really realize how lucky you are, how much you have and um, how important it is to help. Not everybody can go and that's understandable. And so John, Carl and Olga um, also wanted to put the message out that, you know, food is cheaper in Poland. And so every little bit that you donate really does help these refugees. Um, and all the information can be found on the website for World Central Kitchen. Just a wonderful story. And I mean, just personally, just I'm thinking of just how difficult it is to even travel over there right now. And just that you're taking a lot of risks, making doing these things to help these people who are desperately in need right now. Hadas, thank you so much for joining us. You bet. You can follow Hadas Kuznets at Hadas Kuznets on Twitter to keep up with what's happening with streeteries around the Philadelphia area and, of course, the local dining scene in general. That's it for this Wednesday. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa. And tomorrow we'll be talking with Raquel Williams about an exhibit at the Fairmount Waterworks which highlights the fight against segregated swimming. Come back tomorrow for that, but in the meantime, have a great hump day. We'll see you again on Thursday.